more stimulating. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Good morning. Good morning. I am Deb Creer, the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And just a quick little programming note here. I am in Atlanta. My guest is in Atlanta, but our station is in Denver. And they are right now having a big thunder and rainstorm because, of course, Colorado has not had enough rain recently. But just in case we go away, it means the station lost power. So keep your fingers and toes crossed that everything goes well. So with me today, I am so delighted to have Eric Holtzclaw. Um, I've had Eric on in the past, and he had such great information that I wanted to have him on again. And so let me give a quick little bio about Eric. Eric is the founder and chief strategist of Laddering Works, ladder as in you climb up a ladder. It's an un- He is an unconventional thinker who has spent 20-plus years creating opportunities through the practical application of emerging technologies and trends to business. He is the host of Lessons in Laddering, the stories behind the world's greatest brands, which broadcasts weekly on KCAA 1050 AM. He is also the co-host of the weekly radio show, The Better You Project, which highlights the stories of those that start companies. Eric is also co-host, holy cow, Eric is busy, of the weekly radio show, The Better You Project, which highlights the stories of individuals that start companies. That show spawned the creation of his nonprofit, The Better You Network, that provides support to owners through the different stages of company growth. His weekly column, Lean Forward, about the future of business and technology, appears on Inc.com. Eric's book, Laddering, Unlocking the Potential of Consumer Behavior, is his first in a series about how laddering can build better teams and create better products. And that is available on Amazon. So welcome. Welcome, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Great. Oh, absolutely perfect. You know, it's like I was saying, it's gorgeous here in Atlanta for us. It is. It looks very nice. Uh, it sounds like I'm very busy. Maybe I just don't sleep enough. I think that's, that's the problem. It. That's it. You know, and, and obviously you're an old hat at doing this radio stuff, which is is very cool. But, you know, let's start first. I, I have Eric's book, and I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Laddering, Unlocking the Potential of Consumer Behavior. And what it talks about is how things have changed um, in, in marketing, in how we originally reached people even just 10, 20 years ago with now how we have to connect with consumers to really develop products and services that they want. So first, Eric, tell us what laddering itself means. So laddering is a term that I stole <laughs> that they used <laughs> back in the 1980s from a marketing perspective. And it was the concept of I would mass produce a product or service. So for example, I might create a million stereo systems. Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out how to differentiate my stereo system from every other stereo system that was on the uh, right. the shelf. Mm-hmm. And so I would take my stereo system out and I would find out from the mass market, what are the features and the key things that you really like about my stereo system and how do I sell it to you? So I might find out that, you know, the thing you like the best is the CD changer. And mm-hmm. the reason you like the CD changer is because it makes you look cool when you have a party at your house. 
because you don't have to change the CDs. You can just make them Mm -hmm. run in the background, that type of thing. Well, what happened is we moved from a mass production to a mass customization world, which Mm -hmm. means that we don't really care about technology. Um, there's, uh, we care more about the, um, care more about the, um, uh, who the consumer is and building something that works for Mm -hmm. them instead. So, uh, the concept of laddering is looking at who your consumer is and creating a product or service that fits the unmet needs that they have in their life instead of just creating a mass-produced product. Mm-hmm. Well, and, of course, the, the tricky thing is that everybody now wants, demands, and expects kind of something that is personalized. Um, and I loved in the, the book how you talked about the fact that we went from buying albums and CDs where you were kind of stuck with whatever the artist or the company thought you needed to hear, you know, on their record label. And then we got those nifty little things called iPods. And we could download one or two songs, you know, to heck with the other, you know, eight songs that they had on that CD. And then we could make our own playlists because, you know, and I think that really was the start of where we started truly expecting personalization. Yeah, absolutely. The the thing that Apple does well and they the people don't really pay as much attention to it is that they look at unmet needs. Mm-hmm. So they figure out, you know, where is it that our product or service could fit in the world that isn't really taken care of. I mean, Apple now has iTunes and the App Store and they created a phone and those are not concepts that they would have considered if they had just looked at what they were used to providing right. as a company. Mm-hmm. So they looked at kind of what do people want to do and, you know, Steve Jobs talked about it being a thousand songs in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to do that, you had to have something people if you think about that in the traditional sense, they would have tried to figure out how we could carry around like a, a hundred CD changer mm-hmm. <laughs> with us. Right. <laughs> and they knew that the model had to be completely changed. And for the model to change, they had to have a distribution engine because the iPod was not the first MP3 player. There were several before that, but they didn't have the content. It was all about making sure there was content available. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that and creating products and services that really completely solve the problems of who your customer is and what they want is is what you need to do to make sure you have a successful product service or even creating a marketing message. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, with computers, Dell did that and Gateway did that where you would say, I want this, 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 you know, I want this software. I don't want to just go buy something. And, you know, the, the what happened was we also came to know that, okay, if we wanted to personalize it, we would pay extra. You know, in in some cases, and then in some cases, you really just thought, I'm not going to pay extra. I want this. And some companies did adapt to that. I mean, you know, look at, say, a company like Starbucks. I don't know how many different variations of a cup of coffee whoop, they can give someone, but, you know, it's, it's, they, it's the same price. So whether you have a half-calf soy latte, no whip, what you call it, or just, you know, the regular one, they let you personalize it all for the same price. Absolutely. And that's something that, uh, if, if you think about, if, if you think about Dell, you think about Starbucks, you think about all these kind of things that we have in our lives, we're allowed to kind of create our own product, right? Mm-hmm. Like our own thing and our own concept. And so as a consumer group, we're very spoiled and we know that companies can, can do that. So we expect everybody in every space to do that. And when you talk about social media, which is your big thing is, you know, concentrating on what social media is and, mm-hmm. and who that person is. We want someone to communicate with to us in in our message, not necessarily right. theirs. And so often when people think about social media, they just think about what they want to say versus mm-hmm. what the customer on the other end wants to hear. Right. You know, and, and so it's all about 
figuring that out and having those conversations with people. And, you know, the, the other concept that you really talk a lot about in your book is the fact that there's all these disruptive technologies. You know, I, when I grew up and I won't say when that was, <laughs> we had two TV channels. You know, and, 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 you know, at some point they added a third, but there wasn't a lot of options. There was one newspaper, you know, and, and all of that. And now we have this constant bombardment of input, you know, whether it's actual advertising from companies or, you know, you're watching a TV show and they've got good product placement or, you know, more importantly, you're on social media and you see your friends talking about this restaurant that they liked or, you know, fighting over the new iPhone, you know, all of those various things. And so that's where, you know, you really have to start thinking about who your consumer is. Yeah. And it's about pulling information. So, you know, you think often marketers talk about pushing. So they're pushing Mm -hmm. information out and trying to get people to consume it. What we do is we know that we have access to so much stuff that we sort of pull what we care about. So it's having the information available to us when we're ready for it and then allowing us to make the decision on our own. We're not really Mm -hmm. convinced to buy products and services any longer. We make that decision along the path. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a study that came out earlier this year that said, you know, 57%, this is primarily business-to-business, but I've also seen it in the B2C space, 57% of business-to-business buyers have made the decision before they pick up the phone and call you. Right. So if you are not doing a good job of marketing and establishing a relationship through your marketing, not transactions, mm-hmm. marketing, you know, relationship, right. mm-hmm. then you're losing out on those customers because once they mm-hmm. call in and talk to a salesperson or walk into your dealership to buy a car, they've really already made that decision. And so they are um, – the only thing your salesperson can do is really screw the deal up. <laughs> you can either right. push yeah. push it along or or move it, you know, or or screw it up. If you think mm-hmm. about how we used to buy cars, you'd go and meet the car salesman, and you'd say, "I've got two kids," and he'd be like, oh, "Amazing, I have two kids too, mm-hmm. right?" He'd try to establish a relationship mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Really, now you walk in and you, you know, I remember the last car I bought. I walked in with my smartphone and I showed it to the guy at the dealership and said, "Do you have this one? And how much mm-hmm. is it?" You right. Know, that's that's really what I was looking for. Well, and that's been, you know, because we've gone on to Facebook or, you know, whatever our social media sites are and have said, okay, I have two kids. I travel, you know, X number of miles every day. You know, I want to, you know, all these fancy features. And our friends have come back on Facebook and said, ooh, you know, don't get the Ford. Do this, you know, look at the, you know, and, and so we have all of that input from our friends before we've ever even started to shop. Yeah, we can't, we rely very heavily on our ecosystem. I call it the... The buying ecosystem and then also sort of the customer journey. So where mm-hmm. does the customer go from beginning to end? And what's interesting about marketing in particular, and, and even if you think about social media and how companies try to use social media, they look for one one thing to lead to a sale. So mm-hmm. I posted this one tweet. I put up this video. I wrote this article. And they expect that that's going to be the one thing they can pinpoint is what the pivot mm-hmm. was to make that person make that purchase right. or decide that they like that product or service. And that's not how it works at all. You can't oh. point to these things, which makes marketing more difficult, right? Because you've got to kind of look at the holistic, what did they do first, second, and third? Mm-hmm. And I was at five different conferences last week. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to somebody about content marketing and one thing we ignore is the entire buyer's journey sometimes. So we think about, oh, it's the first time they visit our website or they come to our store or they go mm-hmm. to our social media presence, when in fact it could be they had dinner with a friend and the friend mm-hmm. mentioned it. So that's right. the beginning of their buying decision and then mm-hmm. the end may be past when we think it is. So you have to really mm-hmm. understand what your customer's buyer's journey is such that you're 
fulfilling something along the way mm-hmm. and realizing that some of the things are not things you would necessarily have control over, but you might be able to influence. Well, and, you know, when originally when we were taught marketing, you know, back in the, the 80s and the 90s, we were told that before, you know, a consumer really had to see a message seven times before they would start, you know, taking action and or, you know, even start considering something. And now I think sometimes we see it a hundred times yeah. just because we get bombarded with so much information. And so that's where marketers are really having problems is they're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm used to traditional media, so I'm going to continue running all of these newspaper ads and television ads, but they don't realize that there's so much going on on social media and maybe they don't even have a presence there. And so they're missing out on all of that. Absolutely. What's great about social media is that it allows you to have a, a strong relationship with your customers. Mm-hmm. So it's the way that you can, um, it's the way that you can establish that relationship and continue that relationship beyond just, you know, a transactional type of uh, engagement. And marketers, mm-hmm. and something that was kind of interesting for me that I didn't really realize because I started off as a techno geek back in the 90s and then sort mm-hmm. of became more of a consumer marketing guy in the last decade or so. And I always thought that marketers were about relationship, not necessarily transaction. And it's really the reverse. You know, marketing was about a transaction that drove you to a salesperson and then you created a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a a change. And so we tell marketers to have relationship marketing, but we don't tell them how to do relationship marketing, right? right? Like what that is and what it means. And using social media as part of that is an incredibly powerful thing mm-hmm. because you have so many of your customers who will be in social media and it's a way, a cheap way to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And you can find out so much about them. I saw an uh, article and I think I tweeted it this weekend uh, from an IBM scientist who said that they could read like 100 tweets off of your profile and put it mm-hmm. through this filter and wow. really tell who you are, like do mm-hmm. some psychographic analysis. And so it's focusing on who's having the conversation, not what the conversation is. Mm-hmm. So, well, and our concept of demographics as a marketing person has completely changed. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's no longer that we're just kind of looking for the age, the, you know, the gender, maybe the household income and where they live. It's so many more things. Um, I had someone over the weekend uh, who is uh, she's an author and she's trying to reach women who are 45 to 65. And her comment to me was, mm-hmm. are they on Twitter? And I said, oh, there's so much more than just are they on Twitter? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So how would you walk someone through, you know, maybe it's it's this author who, you know, she has this book and she is trying to reach women who are 45 to 65. What should she be doing and what should she be looking for? Well, she needs to go beyond demographics and segmentation. And part of Mm -hmm. what I talk about in my book is the concept of consumer DNA. And so working through these kind of problems, when companies would come to us, they would always bring a product or service and say, hey, we've got this thing and it's broken. And they'd give us a hypothesis around why it was broken. You know, Mm -hmm. so like, oh, we are targeting a 45 to 60 year old female and we think that this is the message that's the issue. And we listened to them like, great, wonderful. And we would go talk to those people. But what we would find out is that there was some other driver that was really important in that space. Mm -hmm. So depending upon your content and your concept, you need to think about uh, what that target looks like. So I talk about some of the consumer DNA in my, um, in my book, and I've also built some training online that helps companies go through and really understand who their customer is and what they care about. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of starting broader, so having a much broader conversation so that you understand who the consumer is first, not what the product is that you've built, because right. your message could be off. I use mm-hmm. an example through my training of a, a company called Weight Loss Boss. 
mm-hmm. and they're trying to target people who are both fitness enthusiasts and also people who are trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And what you find is that your core drivers for those two groups may be very different. There's right. a group of, mm-hmm. group of people who post things onto Facebook and they're looking for affirmation. They want somebody mm-hmm. to say, good job, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where some of your real fitness enthusiasts are really tracking things just for their purpose, not mm-hmm. for everyone else. And they have a set of goals in mind and they kind of keep that to themselves. So you can't use the same products or social media messages or targeting for those two groups, even though they may be the same age, the same demographic, have the same money, drive the same type of car. Mm-hmm. What's really driving them at their core is a completely different mm-hmm. kind of aspirational um, message that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, and so it's, it's really confusing for marketers as, you know, when they're trying to figure out who they're supposed to, you know, what they're supposed to say, how they're supposed to reach. And to me, I think one of the basic things that we've kind of gotten away from is simply asking. You know, we, we make assumptions about people. Well, you know, they're in this demographic range and, you know, we know that they're on Facebook and, you know, but one of the simplest things to do is to just Ask people, you know, maybe you're, yeah, yeah, you Just know, you're, maybe you're a restaurant, you know, ask right. people and, and you can't ask them on Facebook because they not, might not be on Facebook. So when you're face to face, ask them, Hey, you know, do you use Facebook? You know, right. it's, is Twitter your favorite? You know, and you can get some of that information by encouraging people to check in when they're at that restaurant. But you know, it, it kind of baffles me sometimes when I see people who have developed something and, and, you know, and, and I've said, well, you know, maybe there, it's not selling, you know, it's, right. and, and I say, well, first of all, did you even ask if people wanted this? And <laughs> right. most of the time I get this, uh, like stare, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and there's I just, so yeah, I just actually wrote an article about that. Why nobody cares mm-hmm. about your cool new product. Right. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't know, you know, it doesn't fit a need. It's not, you know, targeted at what mm-hmm. I care about. It doesn't fit my aspirational goals. So it's kind of that. You know, I work with companies sort of across a continuum. And the first thing you have to do if you're building a company is to think about who your customers are. Right. And then you start to build a team that supports them. And then mm-hmm. you have to understand yourself as an entrepreneur. And those are sort mm-hmm. of the three things people kind of go through. And you're right. It's, it's just about asking. I mean, don't make assumptions. Don't sit in a boardroom or in a cubicle or in some co-working space mm-hmm. and say you're building some product or service without having a conversation with the people who the product or service is intended for. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you have to do is make sure that you have those conversations in what I call in context. So right. you want to go and have a conversation where they're going to use that product or mm-hmm. service. So mm-hmm. if it's likely that they're going to use it at home or in their office, you need to go to that location because what you'll learn in that space is a lot about them that they won't tell you mm-hmm. verbally. So we all try to present ourselves in a certain way when we walk out of the house. We mm-hmm. want to be organized, professional, look like you know most of us, look professional, organized, those kind of <laughs> things. And you get into our home and find out that maybe that's not exactly who we are mm-hmm. in reality. And so you kind of have to get behind the mask of who we say we are versus which may be what we're aspirationally trying to be versus who we really are mm-hmm. at our core. And that helps you to understand kind of how to really target that person and talk to them about what they want and even sometimes – how likely they are to stick with something. So mm-hmm. if the person says, you know, I'm a big, back to my weight loss boss example, I'm a big fitness nut, you know, I really care about fitness and I go to the gym all the time, but you go to their house and you realize they've got a bunch of fitness equipment and they've got clothes hanging on it. <laughs> <laughs> they may yeah. not be so, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. aspirational. So you have to use mm-hmm. aspirational messaging for them versus the person who may be really serious about it. And, you know, they've got the special bike and they're doing all these kind of things to kind of make sure that they keep their fitness routine going. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's where 
as you mentioned, doing the research on social media works because, you know, maybe, you know, to, to the weight loss thing, you know, you're looking at their, their posts and you see that they don't ever have time to go and work right. out. Right. You know, and, and so then you're going to target them with something different about, you know, okay, this takes 10 minutes a day and you can do it sitting in your office chair or, right. you know, something along those lines. You know, and, and it does get a little stalkerish, but that's what marketers have been doing since the dawn of time. I mean, you yeah, know, they've just they've been, been looking doing, at the wrong thing. Right. They, mm-hmm. Yeah. They look at census data and demographic data and, you know, social media gives you a great lens into who your potential customers could be. That one of the biggest telltale signs for me is if I go look at a social media profile, you know, Twitter, Facebook, even Pinterest, some of them, and they are sharing aspirational type uh, mm-hmm. information. You know, uh, the person who puts up a picture and says, hey, I, you know, I'm about to go on my walk or whatever. They're looking for affirmation. That person right. looks for affirmation. Mm-hmm. So if you don't affirm them as mm-hmm. a brand, then you've immediately broken the relationship. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of use those things as lenses into what your what your uh, what your your fans care about and realize that when you don't do what they expect, they may not tell you, but, you know, subconsciously you've broken sort of that trusted relationship that they're expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it can be as the brand, as the company, you know, and, and, but it can also be as a person too, you know, and, and that's what I really like about social media pages where it's a larger organization and then, you know, a person responds and they say it's who responds. Um, last week, my guest was um, Ike Piggott, who is with um, Alabama Power. And they really use Twitter a lot, you know, and, yeah. and they do a lot of research and, and, you know, they do a lot of listening. So, you know, if somebody says, hey, I'm at X corner and I'm trying to find the closest place to pay my power bill. They'll go on and they'll, they'll respond to that person. And what I love is whoever responds puts their name there. So it's, you know, it's Jenny, it's Susie, it's Bob, it's whoever. So then, you know, okay, well, Atlanta Power responded, but this was Bob. And, and, yeah. you know, and, and companies kind of get a little scared about that because they think, well, what if, you know, the person develops that relationship with Bob? Right. Well, you know, they, they can, but if Bob's really professional, it's about the company, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and, that, that's a huge difference too. And it's a mistake that I made in my own company is, you know, we used to be told to put all of our kind of intelligence and smarts and that kind of thing into the brand. So, mm-hmm. you know, build up the brand equity and not really talk about the individuals. Mm-hmm. But now as we move more to a relationship based society, people want to know the individuals first and the brand second. Right. So they're actually looking for who are these people that work for this company? What do they do? Are they real and authentic? Mm-hmm. And then they want to, to understand okay, what company do they work for? Mm-hmm. So right. it's it's your people first and your brand second. And so you shouldn't be scared of kind of owning it. That's mm-hmm. partially why most of my stuff now is underneath my name and the company is second because it's really about sort of what I know and my knowledge. And then, by the way, I have a company that can help me deliver what, you know, what those things are mm-hmm. to, to my customers. Right. You know, and, and I love this quote from your book where you're talking about, you know, how we are forming those relationships with people. And you say that, you know, the, the difference is simply the, that the Internet and in particular social media has changed the way, <coughs> excuse me, we form, foster and rely upon these relationships in a very powerful way. We connect with people based on common interests and beliefs. And others' influence on us is strongly based on how much those people care and foster those bonds with us. Yep. 
Definitely. We have moved to a relationship-based society. There's a book uh, called The Fourth Turning that uh, mm-hmm. it was actually written in the mid-90s, and it talks about this kind of re- return to village concept mm-hmm. that we're seeing right. happen. And it's just kind of – it's very cool to see that because there's another book I read in that same time frame that talked about the concept of cocooning, and it mm-hmm. said that uh, we as individuals would sort of become – basement dwelling, Twinkie eating, uh, <laughs> connected to the internet, you know. And what we do instead is we really are social beings. And so right. we love the fact that our internet is now ubiquitous. We can use it anywhere mm-hmm. we want. Mm-hmm. And it, it allows us to go live our lives and then allow technology to enable us to live those lives more fully. Mm-hmm. So instead of using technology as a replacement, which is what I think some people who shy away from social media think about, like they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get consumed by it, yada, yada, yada. It's really not about it consuming you as much as it is improving, you know, knowing where you should go to eat or stay mm-hmm. or learning about events that are happening in town, um, making relationships like the one that you and I have over, you know, social media to establish right. mm-hmm. who that person is and, and to know a little bit about what they care about, that it's their birthday, those mm-hmm. kind of things are are great. They really return us back to more of an authentic relationship. Right. Well, and it's the relationships that we used to have around, say, the water cooler or the coffee maker. You know, right. you'd, you'd bop past and you'd say, hey, you know, what'd you watch on TV last night? And, you know, how'd your kids do in soccer over the weekend? And then you go bebopping back off. You know, it, it's, and then through the course of those relationships, you decided, this is somebody I want to do business with or, you know, have a relationship with or whatever. That, but, you know, that kind of got lost there for a while where we did kind of insulate ourselves. It did. And we created these kind of cocoon societies. I mm-hmm. talk about that, you know, keeping up with the uh, keeping, up, keeping up with the Joneses, you know, kind of concept. And mm-hmm. that's when we had people uh, living in you know similar neighborhoods around similar people and kind of hanging out with them, that type of thing. But the world broke apart. And so now we kind of create relationships with people across town or across Mm -hmm. the country who have similar interests as us. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to know more about those people and really kind of keep up with them in a way that's like it would be if they lived next door to us. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a great, I I love it. I love kind of disruptive technology. I love, you know, the time frame we're in right now. There's a lot of blame on where we are from a um, recovery perspective. Now, let's not talk about the government, though we could for the next <laughs> half hour, um, <laughs> on the fact that we had the Great Recession back then mm-hmm. in 2008. But at the same time in 2008, we also got smartphones and we got mm-hmm. ubiquitous Internet and it was you know faster and cheaper and all those types of things. And that fundamentally changed how we deliver products and services, how we interact with each other. You know, it's, it just was ignored. It's sort of mm-hmm. like the Great Recession was this big cloud over this other kind of fundamental change that was occurring. Mm-hmm. And companies are having a problem understanding how to recover from that, right? Like, oh, it was the economy. And it's like, well, no, actually, it was the economy plus these mm-hmm. other kind of very right. disruptive factors. So how do we now that we're hopefully moving out of the economic issues – Please, government, stop yes. and just do Go something. Talk to each Please. other. <laughs> and move on because all of us in the entrepreneurial and small business space have started to feel the resurgence, right? Mm-hmm. Like that it's coming back. Right. But big companies have to figure out how to kind of be more nimble with these new technologies. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I think – one of the things that we definitely saw through the, the course of, you know, the, the recessions, you know, even starting back in, in, you know, the, the early 2000s was that there were a lot more home-based businesses. And, and <coughs> excuse me, and, you know, when I was on Eric's program, we talked about the fact that, you know, I've had a home-based business now for almost 13 years. 
And to me, social media has been one of the, the saving things because I'm not just sitting here in my office alone. I'm you know still connected with a thousand people at any given point in time. You know, and, and that's what is so cool about the technology is, you know, as things shift and change and we become more entrepreneurial and, you know, all of those things, technology kind of keeps up with it and in a lot of cases leads it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it allows us to work in ways that we never were able to in the past and, you know, have access to resources that we haven't. It's a it's a cool thing. You know, we talk about social media and social media feels a lot like what internet did back in mm-hmm. the 90s, right? Right. You know, now you just sort of expect it. Well, that's mm-hmm. how we're getting is like we want social media and the concept of that being integrated into all of our experiences so that we have kind of that instant access to experts in spaces or people who can give us the information we want. If it's to know if a product's of quality or if it's somebody that we care about has also used that product or service. And we just use that as kind of this underlying current for our world. And it keeps us connected as we kind of go through our, our daily lives. And especially those of us that enjoy working from home are our road warriors. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Right. Yeah. laughs> so, you know, it's a way to kind of keep up with what's going on. I always go to Twitter first and mm-hmm. Facebook second, typically to figure out what the news should be. And then I end up on, on a website. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you mentioned that you were at five conferences last week. I mean, how many times when we're at a conference, at a meeting, whatever, are we secretly looking on Facebook to see what's going on in the world and, you know, all of those various things, you know, and, and I think it's just kind of a given anymore. You know, as a speaker, if you look out and you see all these people with their heads down, they're not asleep. They're, yeah. you know, post and hopefully what they're doing is they're posting that, Hey, you know, they're listening to this great speaker <laughs> you know, right. and a tweetable but, moment. Yes. Right. Right. <clears throat> so Eric, before we take a break, why don't you tell people how they can reach you and find your information? So you can go to my website, which is www.latteringworks.com, L-A-D-D-E-R-I-N-G. It is not lattering. It's laddering as in a ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find information on my book on Amazon and uh, Barnes. It's in the Barnes & Noble bookstore this month. It's uh, cool. featured on a big data a table. It's actually the antithesis to big data. <laughs> so, cause I talk about how small data can be used to unlock big data. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can find me on Twitter at eholtzclaw. That's probably the most popular social media channel for me. And I love to Great. link in with people on LinkedIn. Cool. Well, when we come back from the break, let's talk about your recent article for Inc. where you talk about the 12 essential tips to get social media traction. I am Deb Creer and I'm with Eric Holtzclaw on Mile High Radio and we will be back in just a couple of moments. Great music. MileHighRadio.com. What are you listening to? Parenting is a rewarding experience that comes with challenges. Every parent experiences moments when they are overwhelmed or frustrated. Families First wants you to know you are not alone. Colorado parents can call 1-800-CHILDREN for answers, resources, and support. This free confidential support line can be the difference between struggling alone and finding the support you need to strengthen your family. Call 1-800-CHILDREN or visit www.familiesfirstcolorado.org. 
Colorado Horsepower is a nonprofit organization providing equine therapy and horsemanship to individuals with special needs. They are a member of the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. Their mission is to provide equine therapy and horsemanship skills to people with special needs within our community and especially helping mentally, emotionally, and physically challenged children and adults through the therapeutic power of horses and the use of horse therapy. They provide a venue for students to gain a sense of freedom, independence, and self-reliance where students will learn to interact socially, learn new skills, have a sense of accomplishment, learn responsibility, and begin that path to self-reliance while working with and caring for horses. With their newly discovered skills, students will be able to increase their social interaction and awareness of their world. Colorado Horsepower is providing the means for them to overcome and deal with their fears, learn tolerance, patience, and build their self-esteem. They will be empowered to handle and deal with the challenges of life, but in the end, achieve a better quality of life through their interaction with horses. For more information, please click on the banner ad on the nonprofit page on milehighradio.com. And we are back. I am Deb Creer, and with me today is Eric Holtzclaw, who is the author of Laddering, Unlocking the Potential of Consumer Behavior. And Eric is also a frequent columnist for Inc. Um, dot com, and that's the, yes, I-N-C dot com, you know, those, those big guys. And Eric recently wrote an article on 12 essential tips to get social media traction. And I want to talk about this because it's such an important article, whether it's a business, you know, or an entrepreneur who's never really used social media, or maybe somebody who's a little bit more experienced, but isn't having the success they would like. So welcome back, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So now your first tip is start. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to do social media, you actually have to start. Like anything mm-hmm. else you do in life, it's all about you know taking that first step and putting up that first tweet. And of course, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to be awkward, but it'll be fine. Just start. Well, and it won't be perfect, you know, nope. and, and I think that's where we all struggle. You know, for a long time, I told people, you have to write a blog, you have to write a blog, you have to write a blog. And they'd say, well, we'd like to read your blog. And I'd go, mm. <laughs> because I'd written probably 50 posts that weren't perfect. So then yeah. I wouldn't post them, uh. you know, and, and so it's, it is one of those things where we're afraid to kind of jump in, you know, that, that water might be cold or somebody might say something mean or bad. Yeah, well, you know, but we believe in, you know, if a society is about authenticity, we know mm-hmm. people are going to be imperfect. So it's right. fine. In fact, mm-hmm. it's in that imperfection that they know you're a real person, mm-hmm. right? So right. yeah, you just have to start. Well, it was funny. We, uh, last week when I was talking to Ike, one of the examples I gave about imperfections was someone who was thinking that she was tweeting from her personal account and she was actually logged into the business account. And she had posted that she was going out drinking and this happened to be a nonprofit <laughs> that she was posting for. She immediately realized her error, apologized profusely, and there was really no harm done. Right. <clears throat> and I think that's where people think, well, what if I do make a mistake? Well, you're right. We do make mistakes. Fix it. Yeah, just <laughs> fix it. 
Yeah. Right. And that's actually all we ever expect of brands anyway is mm-hmm. for them to just to fix their problems, not to mm-hmm. necessarily even apologize so much as to just right. let us know that they're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. So then your next tip is it takes time. And I think that's one of the things that people tell me the most is I don't have time to do this. I could spend hours because they've seen their kids, their spouse, you know, their friends on Facebook for hours and hours and hours. And so a business owner thinks, oh, I can't do that. It's going to be a waste of time. What do you tell those people? Well, when I'm talking about it takes time, it's uh, it's not an immediate feedback. It's not an immediate mm-hmm. payback, right? So okay. what I see is people, they'll post something up and they expect that that's going to be the thing that's going to like mm-hmm. push their business into the stratosphere. And I'm like, it's really not about that tweet or that mm-hmm. Facebook post or that LinkedIn connection. It's about the the entire audience of those things, right? So mm-hmm. having done it over time, showing people that you, you know, know something and that your tweets are interesting or Facebook posts are interesting. So don't expect to pay off from one thing and you have to continue to do it. So, and, and I think it's a limiting of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to think about when you're going to have time to get in there, when you're going to actually do it. You shouldn't be doing it all the time. Right. You, mm-hmm. It will take time for you to kind of see a payoff. Well, and, you know, we, we all see these studies and posts and things that say if you want to be successful on Facebook you should post between the hours of oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, whose hours are those right. and that kind you of know, stuff too so you know i'm on the east coast a lot of my people are somewhere else and you know all of these various things to me that's more about finding when your own sweet spot is exactly. you know if if they're saying the most people are online between 9 and 10 well that's not when i want to be there because i don't want to be <laughs> caught up in that shuffle of everything Right, exactly. Be different. So, yeah, not the same thing. Right. Yep. Now, I love your next tip because it is one of those things that, you know, I think confuses people so many times, and that's don't try to do everything. Yeah, you have to do what's natural. So I love Twitter. I know that you, because mm-hmm. you and I are linked in on, on all of the channels, I think, mm-hmm. and you are you seem to be more Facebook-oriented. Right, because so- I can go longer posts. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying I love Twitter because it's 140 characters and that's mm-hmm. just my personality and it's sort of a place I can, you know, put out my uh, thoughts on life and be sarcastic in a, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a short spurt. So, and then I'll share it to other networks, but it's the thing that's the most natural. I'll pull up Twitter and do it quickly and Facebook, I'm just not as, I'm not as much, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's natural for me and if it's not natural, you won't do it. So you need to sort of pick the thing that just feels the best for you. Right. You know, and, and maybe that's, you know, you've, you're somebody who's been on Facebook for personal reasons. So you're used to Facebook, you know how it works, then start on Facebook. You know, there's nothing that says you have to, to go somewhere else. And there's certainly nothing that says you have to be on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, you know. Yeah. And I see a lot of brands. Yeah. I see a lot of brands just pointing to the most active channel. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, you know, yeah, we're on Twitter, but you can also find us on Facebook or whatever. They mm-hmm. might have a more active community there. So it's really right. just about picking something that feels natural. Again, you know, sort of like starting in that space. And, mm-hmm. and you'll know it feels natural because you'll just do it naturally. I right. bring up Twitter naturally and just tweet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I have to sort of think about Facebook. And probably LinkedIn's my second most favorite mm-hmm. uh, network. Well, and there's nothing that says that there's anything wrong with being just on one or two of the sites. Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as what you're putting out is a value, that's really mm-hmm. the thing, which I think me leads into the next one is. That does, because the next <laughs> one is be helpful. Right. It's about what you're putting up. So you want to put up things that are like content that you find that's going to be helpful to the people that you that follow you. 
uh, making sure that you um, that you're being helpful to them, not necessarily just pushing out your stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about come like me, you know, come buy my product, come use my service. It's sharing things to your community that is helpful information that helps them with their business. Right. Because if you help them with their business, they're going to naturally turn around and say, mm-hmm. hey, this is the person that kind of moved me to this next place. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to do something more. I'll reach out to that person to help me out. So mm-hmm. social media is really about that a relationship and a relationship is about me doing something for you, not necessarily trying to get something from you. Right. You know, and, and it's interesting. I had somebody one time who criticized what I do with my Facebook business page because I will link to articles from other social media people. Yeah. And they said, you should never do that. You should just put your own content. Well, you know, there's just too much out there. You know, no one can generate that much content because of, of what's going on. But I see absolutely no problem with, you know, linking to a post that, say, Mari Smith wrote that talks about the five top Facebook tweets. Absolutely. There are five book posts. It, you know, aside from anything else, it shows I'm keeping up on those things. And that you've got confirmation. If there's another mm-hmm. person in the same space saying the same thing mm-hmm. you are, then there's somebody else kind of you know, giving you a third party. Yeah. You know, this is right. that's like I talked about that IBM, um, the one that I tweeted this weekend about mm-hmm. IBM. That's just confirmation of something I say. I tell people mm-hmm. you should go look at people's social media profile and you can determine a lot about who they are and what they care about. And so someone else in, is saying the same thing. I'm certainly going to share that mm-hmm. information because it helps to support my overall platform. Well, and you can say that in the post. You know, yeah, maybe, yeah, you can say, you know, hey, this person is talking about the five best apps to use. My favorite is, you know, and, and you know, so that way you are kind of reaffirming that. Yeah, and there's like a there's a book that came out 100 million 100 million markets of one, mm-hmm. and they talk about neos versus traditionals, and they have this really great YouTube video, and basically theirs is a quant version of what I talk about in my book, laddering, and it's I talk about it all the time because I'm like, look, these guys were on the West Coast and they did similar research to what I did, and mm-hmm. we came up with the same result. So. Right. That's a good thing. It shows that there's some yeah. positive, you know, affirmation here. It's not just that I'm some crazy guy, you know, <laughs> think, <laughs> who thinks that the the world looks this way. Other people also have the same opinion and mm-hmm. have have some uh, scientific rigor to what they've uh, right. what they've accomplished. Well, and if they have a differing opinion, that's also a great way to have a discussion. You know, yep. you can say, you know, I just saw this and I don't agree, and here's why I don't agree. But then you also want to say, tell me what you think. You right. know. Generate those conversations with people because that's how we build those relationships. Well, and people love controversy. I mean, those mm-hmm. are some of the best, <laughs> some of the best ways to get, you know, people talking to you is to put up something mm-hmm. that's just a little, a little controversial and mm-hmm. kind of get, get into the middle of it and have a conversation. Right. And it's typically because people just have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Again, back to our government and where we are with our sort of situation right now, if we could just kind of get to some kind of resolution around that and make sure that we have a good conversation, I think that would be mm-hmm. very helpful right. to this all. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because I know people, they, they try to shy away from controversial. And, and of course there are, you know, you do have to watch things like that. But, you know, I will post, you know, somebody was posting about football over the weekend and their team lost. Well, I'm from Denver and we have this little quarterback there called Peyton Manning. And yeah. so, you know, my response to their comment was maybe you just need to, to be rooting for team Peyton. Right. You know, and, and they took it, you know, they laughed. They thought it was funny, you know, and, and, but I also knew that it was somebody who wouldn't take offense at, 
at what I posted. And I was very careful about what I said. You know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't say your team is horrible and awful. Right. You should, right. you know, and I just kind of made a little joke of it. Yeah, people want to know you're real. I mean, some of my tweets are about my uh, teenage daughter because she says mm-hmm. the funniest things on the face of the planet. <laughs> and it sort of adds that that human element to it. It's mm-hmm. not just this guy who's sharing articles all the time, which is right. – that's funny. That's one of my points. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> making sure that you're sharing something something personal. So personal mm-hmm. feedback, you know. And knowing that you have a team that you root for, that makes you, that makes you more real, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, oh, you know, that she cares about this team and, Mm -hmm. and I know something about her that makes you more interesting to want to work with because people want to know who you are, not just what you do. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about what you do. Right. Yeah. You know, we can all go to a big box store and, you know, buy a product or a service, but it, or I guess you can't really buy a service there, but, you know, if it's something a longer term, you want to work with somebody that you have similar interests with. You know, maybe exactly. they're, you know, they live in the same part of town. They went to the same university, your arch rivals, you know, all of those various things. And to me, you find those things out on social media. Now, you also find out things like, mm, okay, I don't want to work with that person because <laughs> of what they've been posting. Right. And, you know, and, and, but that's okay too, because then you won't have gone down that path and thought, uh oh, we made a big, big mistake here. Yeah. So if you look at my book, there's a persona called Vice Vicky. So mm-hmm. Vice Vicky is one of the personas that as an employer, you might decide that you would avoid in hiring. And if you are right. a Vice Vicky, <laughs> then you may have to be careful about how you do your uh, social media profiles. Mm-hmm. I found with uh, Vice Vicky, she actually had two profiles, one that her quote unquote friends knew and one that mm-hmm. her family and employers would see so that she was going to uh-huh. keep her life separate so mm-hmm. that one would impact mm-hmm. the other. Well, and, you know, I think that is something that people do need to keep in mind is, you know, you can't overshare. You know, it's okay to talk about things that you're doing, but, you know, you do have to be aware that there are ramifications, you know, and maybe maybe you're posting about the the current situation with the government and you're anti one party, you know, and, and you're just posting like crazy about that. You know, a year from now, a potential client could look back at that and go, ugh. Maybe yeah. this isn't the type of person that I want. Or, you know, it's somebody who right now wants to do business with you or refer a client to you. And they're looking at that and they're thinking, okay, <clears throat> this person just posted about the fact that they were so drunk all weekend they don't remember the weekend. I'm not going to refer business to that person. Absolutely. And you have to keep, you know, I look at uh, social media profiles <laughs> more than I do resumes. I get right. somebody's resume and I look at their name and the first thing I'll do is go to LinkedIn or mm-hmm. Google and start to look at what they have there because I can get to more content and information that helps me make that decision than what that mm-hmm. resume tells me. So, you know, all that information, it's even as telling to me if the person doesn't have any kind of a digital right. um footprint because a Mm -hmm. lot of the work I do requires, you know, knowing digital, knowing how to reach out to Mm -hmm. people. Right. So if you don't have a digital footprint, you're probably not someone who would be a good candidate for the kind of products and services Mm -hmm. I work with. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And and hopefully that person wouldn't have applied to start with, but, but it's funny because I, I had somebody the other day who was telling me that, you know, they'd applied for a marketing position and they don't use social media at all. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah. Not quite yeah. sure, you know, even, even if the company they applied for wasn't into social media for whatever reason, they still need to, to know what's out there. I mean, that's like being a marketing person and, and not ever watching TV, you know, they all kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. I've, and I've only run into maybe one company ever 
that I thought could get away with not being in like social media relationship mm-hmm. marketing and drip. Like they, marketing has changed fundamentally. And if you're still direct mail marketing and blast and pray kind of concepts, mm-hmm. you are so far behind and you right. need to, you got to catch up with it. Mm-hmm. And the, the trick is catching up because yeah. it's moving so fast that it's, sometimes that's, that's impossible. Yeah, it's and it's a matter I think being open to the fact that there's a couple things that I think the new school marketer has to think about. One is that they're not going to get immediate payoff for having sent a campaign out, so it's not like mm-hmm. they're going to, oh, we sent this one thing out and we got this you know immediate feedback. Um, most of the research I've seen that I've done shows that it's a six to nine month payoff. Wow, six to nine months. Mm-hmm. So you're in it for the long haul. It's not about doing something today and expecting some big change. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is that you know again about starting. People look at your whole social media profile and everything mm-hmm. that you've posted. So you can't just post some one thing. You actually have to have a history of things that right. you've done. Mm-hmm. So it's like right. they look at that plus they go back and look at a little bit of your history. Mm-hmm. So by starting now, when the, you get to that point of when people are really evaluating you, they can go back and say, oh, I know what this person stands for, what they care about, and what they sort of know, what their knowledge base mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you mentioned is is one of your your tips is don't focus on feedback. And I think people get caught up in that. You know, I do. I'll do a post and nobody will respond. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> did anybody read this? You know, and and you you know, talk about feedback and why it's not really something that we need to get ourselves so wrapped up in a knot over. Well, you have to think about it both ways. Like you know, one thing I think about is how often do I really go and post a comment on something, you know, and right. it's not, you know, it's mm-hmm. maybe once or twice a week, something like that. But I read a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's certain people that I always read their stuff. When it comes across, I'm, I, I'm like, oh, I love that, that guy's stuff or that gal's stuff. And I'll read their stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and I run into that specifically with my ink column, you know, I'll run into somebody and they, recognize me because of my picture or they'll say, oh, I've read so many of your articles, but they've never once right. reached out to me over Twitter or LinkedIn mm-hmm. or anywhere else, but they know who I am. And that may be the reason that they've shown up for the, you know, for the presentation or to hear my material. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of got this private lurker thing going on mm-hmm. and people are not going to necessarily give you feedback and it, it's okay because they, they're still reading it. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you've got your analytics in place and you know that you're <laughs> getting that kind of information. So you kind of mm-hmm. know privately that you've, you've put something out that people care about and you have to be careful too. Like I noticed on my ink article, certain articles are shared, but not read ah, mm-hmm. and certain articles are read, but not shared. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's a balance of those. So just because an article is shared, it may be just because of the title, but not mm-hmm. as many people read it. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that I know must be very useful content because I get a lot more reads than I do shares at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So it's a matter of balancing all of those things together and not just thinking about, oh, you know, nobody shared this or I never heard back from anybody. You're still making an impact. And even if you're not making an impact today, I'm amazed at the number of people who share content that I may have written maybe six months ago. Right. Or even longer. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's now useful to them. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. useful to them, you know, six months ago, but all of a sudden they've lost a rock star Mm -hmm. employee and they want to have Mm -hmm. some advice on how to replace that person. Right. So they're searching for that content and I Mm -hmm. have an article out there that helps them with it. Mm -hmm. Well, and Facebook is kind of one of those interesting sites that, you know, the, the the statistics say that from your, your page, only about 16% of the people who have followed your page see your posts. Well, you know, we all would like to have more than 16% 
of the people see things. And so people get caught up on those insights on, on Facebook. And one of the trends that I'm really seeing a lot of Facebook pages do now is they will post, say, the picture of the, the little girl with her cute little kitten. And it will say, if you, you know, if you like this, share it, you know, click like. Right. It has nothing to do with what they're doing, but what that has done is driven them up in that ranking thing. And yeah. so then more of their posts come out. And, and I think that's what people, you know, they, they think, oh, well, yeah, I like that picture of, you know, the, the soldier or the kitten or whatever. And, and they think, well, it really doesn't have anything to do with the business, but it said, like this post. And so I right. will. And all that's doing is making sure that their content gets driven back into your, your newsfeed. So they so they use what the term cat catvertising. Have you heard that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, they're using the cute kittens. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. So back to your article. You know, now you talk about avoid social media blindness. What does that mean? So, and that's actually the thing that is kind of most interesting to me about my ink article. I'll write a, a, a an article, and I know by the way it's shared that some of the people who are sharing it didn't read it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it went out 20 seconds ago and all right. you did was think that the title was great. So uh-huh. you decided to share it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so if that person gets stopped by a friend and they say, oh, I noticed that you shared this article, you know, it was very interesting because I went and read it and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden you're sort of caught because you yeah, didn't read you're it. You're doing the two right? step. Mm-hmm. Right. You're like, oh, well, so I, I would never share anything that I didn't, number one, mm-hmm. believe, and number two, something that I've read because I want to make sure when I run into somebody and they ask me about something that I've tweeted or that I've shared over Facebook or LinkedIn that I'm up to knowledge, you know, up to snuff mm-hmm. on what it is and what and right. why I did because it's got to have some reason behind it. Well, and, you know, it might have had a cool headline and maybe even a cool first, you know, paragraph or so that you glanced at, but it might have taken an entirely different ending. And, you know, so you could be embarrassing yourself. Um, You know, I always, when I post a link to an article, I like to say something about the article. You know, right. and, and that way, clearly I have read it. You know, I, I post a lot of things that, you know, maybe it's somebody will say, you know, here's five tips, 10 tips. I'll say, you know, my favorite tip is number eight. And then I, right. you know, and, and I say, tell me what your favorite tip is or add one. So that definitely makes sure that I have read the article. Yeah, I'm like you. I don't ever send anything out that I haven't read unless I know it's from, you know, an extremely reputable source and I'm just trying to get the information out there. But I yeah. try and, and glance through it and, and at least skim it very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to make sure I, I know it and that I believe in it because some of my stuff is a little controversial that I talk about from a marketing mm-hmm. perspective. So I want to make sure people have the same right. angle that I mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So your next tip is to ask for advice. And I think that's hard for business people because somebody might give it to them. Yeah, well, it's actually my it's my super secret social media tip, which is asking <laughs> for advice. You know, I mm-hmm. think that you know, we talk about being helpful, but there's also the concept of asking other people about things that you, that you want to know about or, mm-hmm. or that you're curious about how they're approaching it. And it's a way for them to connect with you and it sort of makes it feel helpful to them. So it's kind of an interesting way of doing it. It's, uh, I would intentionally look for people who, uh, were, who were asking questions and I would put questions out there mm-hmm. specifically when I was thinking about uh, tips and techniques for the book, like looking for mm-hmm. other experiences. Some of the stories I have in the book came from asking for people to tell me stories, like some right. things that they had done from a marketing perspective. So it's a great way to make those connections and it's allows them to talk about themselves. And that's mm-hmm. really what people love to do. <laughs> so the more somebody right. else talks mm-hmm. about themselves and you listen, the more they think that, you know, you really care and that mm-hmm. a relationship is there. 
Well, and that comes back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, researching your audience you know maybe you're you're asking for advice and you're saying i'm thinking of offering this seminar or this seminar which one would you find more valuable right and then you don't waste your time building something nobody's Mm -hmm. ever going to buy right Right. i mean that's a a terrible waste of time Mm -hmm. so yeah now the next one is one that my grandmother you know would would love and that's (laughs) say thank you yes yeah i mean i think that especially you know people like you and I, Deb, who put out a ton of content, we have a lot of people retweeting it and those kind of mm-hmm. things. And if somebody specifically says something about mine, like if you were to retweet one of my articles and say, I really loved number eight, mm-hmm. then I would know you read my article. And right. I always mm-hmm. thank those people. I go back and mm-hmm. go, thank you for reading. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You know, those kind of things. Just simple that they know I'm paying attention, that I'm not just out there self-absorbed, you know, trying to get you to mm-hmm. reshare my content for me. So it's a simple thing to do is just to thank someone for reading your stuff, you know, and and it goes a long way in kind of the social media sphere if you mm-hmm. uh, do see something. And it goes back to sort of that uh, feedback that we talked about early. You know, if you want people to give you feedback, well, maybe you should give some other people feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So, Right. And that leads directly into your next point, which is pay attention. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what? I, and that this one is the one – it was funny. You know, you used to – you could share Twitter – link over to LinkedIn. So you would Mm -hmm. tweet something and would go over to LinkedIn and I would run into people all the time and they may not have paid attention to the fact that, uh, I had changed jobs or that I had a new thing going on, but all of my teen uh, tweets would go over Mm -hmm. to LinkedIn and people would say, I love all your tweets about teen. So I knew that they were paying attention and I Mm -hmm. purposely pay attention to other people's stuff too. Mm -hmm. Like, so that if you do run into them and you may not have given them feedback online, you can say, Hey, I see that you've been putting a lot of this stuff in place and it makes them feel affirmed. I mean, we're all Mm -hmm. looking for kind of that affirmation in this kind of virtual space where we're shooting messages out there and hoping that somebody's actually listening to it. So mm-hmm. pay attention to them and, and reach out to people on an occasion to let them know that you appreciate their content so that it kind of gives them that motivation because you're looking for it too. So it, it's sort of a paying back into the system. Right, right. Now, your 11th tip is encourage sharing. And and I'm not talking about begging people, please share my tweet or, you know, <laughs> please, you know, it, there's, there's a, a way to go about this, Right. Yeah. Yeah. For Twitter specifically, you know, they talk about using 120 characters because there's 140 mm-hmm. in total, but the 120 allows you to at least let the person retweet it with their, mm-hmm. um, with the handle and then say something. Right. If you can be low, less than that, it's even better because mm-hmm. it does allow them to figure out how to say, I love number eight or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I spend a lot of time like reworking tweets to try to make sure I can put mm-hmm. something in it at the end. So, right. and it's crazy. Like, Using call to action words like share this mm-hmm. is, is a strong word. It's like share mm-hmm. this. And people were like, Oh, he wants me to share it. It's sort right. of like you subconsciously, uh, engage them to do what it is you're asking mm-hmm. for. So it's very simple. If you've got something you want to have people to share, say share this, but make sure you give them enough room so that they can put in what they, they mm-hmm. think about it and what they care about. Right. You know, and, and it's funny. It's, it's kind of like we need to give people permission. You know, if you do a great post, and it just floats around out there, you know, and then you do it again and you say, please share. Oh, he wants me to share. It's just exactly like you said. Right. It's, it's kind of weird that people think they can't until you tell them that they can. Yeah. You kind of give them permission to do what you want them to do. At the end right. of the day. Yeah. Now, our last tip um, is it's about all of you. 
Yes. You mean it's not about me? I thought the world revolved around me. <laughs> it's about all of you, which means all of your social media presences, <laughs> everything that you've shared. So when people mm-hmm. look at you, they're going to look at the totality of your mm-hmm. social media presence, not just maybe your last tweet. They're going to look at right. your profile, other mm-hmm. kinds of things. So that's why it's important for you to start and be consistent with it because they're not going to consider just one tweet. That's not what's going to you know, engage them. It's going to be about the everything that you're doing mm-hmm. everywhere that you are. So you need to concentrate on the entire kind of echo ecosystem you've created. Right. Well, and people do need to keep in mind that, that others will look back at what yes. you've done in the past. You know, it always surprises me. And I have this happen several times a month where someone on Facebook will respond to something or, you know, comment on a picture that I posted several years ago. You know, that's a little weird that they're doing that. But at the same point, I'm, I'm kind of interested as to why they were looking back and, and, you know, interested in, in things that I was doing. So, you know, that is something to keep in mind. If you posted something that was controversial or, you know, all of those things, go back through and delete those things. <laughs> yeah, delete them or you know that you'll get something off of that. Mm-hmm. I've posted a lot about working from home and there's been, that's mm-hmm. been in the news a couple of times. And so I always mm-hmm. get. Uh, correspondence about that article. That's right. one of been mm-hmm. one of my most popular. So mm-hmm. anyway, yes. Yeah, you know, and 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 we do go back and look, especially if it's a business. You know, I want to see what their track record was. You know, right. it, did they have problems and they responded to it? All of those various things. Yep. Social media is a very strong way to kind of make those connections and then let people evaluate you in a, in a very private way. So you mm-hmm. have to make sure that you're, uh, you're right. out there and that you're establishing that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, you know, it's, it's like you said at the very start, they're looking at all of those things before they ever even meet you. So, yeah. you know, why cause a problem and maybe not even make that great business connection just because you didn't do something appropriately? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, Eric, this has been fabulous. One last time, tell people how they reach you. You can go to my website, which is www.ladderingworks, L-A-D-D-E-R-I-N-G, works.com. I have a place you can sign up for a bunch of free content there. So I send out my mm-hmm. articles each week as I post them. You can also buy my book on Amazon, download it as a Kindle edition, or go to Barnes & Noble and pick it up. It's everywhere books are available. And please, please, please follow me on Twitter, at eHoltzGlaw. Or you can link in with me on LinkedIn. I'm Eric Holtzko on LinkedIn. So thanks so much for the the thing today. This has been fabulous. Um, I want to give a a little pitch for next week. I will be talking to Gina Carr and Terry Brock, who recently released, as in I think the ink is still drying on their books, Clout Matters. You know, and and it's something that we kind of hear a bit about. We know we might have a clout score. What the heck does it mean? And Gina and Terry are really going to talk to us about why it matters in this business day and age what your clout score is. And clout pertains to your social media activity. So, you know, everybody tune in. Until then, have a fabulous week, and we will catch you later. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant I'm not ashamed to say This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.